The following message was given by Raymond Goodlett on Sunday, January 28th at Redemption Hill Church. For more information about the church, visit us online at www.redemptionhill.org. Go ahead and, and open your Bibles, if you would, to Haggai chapter 1. We're going to read the whole chapter today. Haggai chapter 1. If you don't know where Haggai is, that's fine. Just go ahead and open up to the New Testament. The very first book there in the New Testament is Matthew. And then go back three books. You get Malachi, Zechariah, and Haggai. It'll be right there. It's really short. It's actually the second shortest book in the Old Testament. Only Obadiah is shorter. And Haggai was a prophet. What we're about to read, he actually spoke in 520 BC. And we, we know that because he was so precise with the date. In fact, most people agree it was th this first message was on August 29th of 520 BC as we would count that. And Haggai was one of the two prophets that God sent to speak to his people at this time. The other one was Zechariah. They both spoke to the same people at the same time. This group of, of Jews had just come back from Babylon. They had been in captivity in Babylon for 70 years. And the time had come for God to bring them back to their land. And, and he, he used a, a really huge geopolitical event to do that. The Persian Empire had just conquered the Babylonians. And so Cyrus the Great, Cyrus the King of Persia, issued a decree to the Jews and many other nations and said, you can go back to your own land and you can, you can do whatever you need to do there. Build your temple if you need to, Jews, and, and just make sure that you, you do that. And... And to cover my bases, have your God pray for me. So that was, that was something that Cyrus did in the year 538 BC. And the Jews who had returned were in many ways exemplary people of faith. I mean, they, these were the kinds of people, this 50,000 or so that went. They, they were willing to embrace the difficulty of uprooting their lives simply to return and see God's plans and purposes advance in and through their life. It wasn't easy. To pack everything up and go on that five-month journey and, and to brave all of that and, and to start over in many ways. But they, they did that because it was so important to them that God's temple would be rebuilt and that his name would be proclaimed from Jerusalem. And so these were exemplary people of faith. And, and, and to a degree, I mean, we, we can look around in this room and see exemplary people of faith as well. Uh, so there were many things that God would have been pleased with when he looked at these people. And yet... As some time went by, as new kings came into power and as time went by, after, after about a two-year good start, 16 years had passed and they hadn't really devoted themselves to the work that God had called them to do there. Some, some time had passed and some convictions had waned and, and God felt the need to speak to them. And that's where we pick up with Haggai. So Haggai chapter 1. He gave four messages over the course of four months, and, and we're, we're going to read the first of those messages today, as well as the response of the people to it as we go through the first chapter. So I'm going to pray for our time now, and then, and then we'll, we'll read that chapter and then hear what God wants to say. Pray with me if you would. Father, you said in your word that everything that was said in the past was written for us to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we would have hope. 
And so we, we ask for those things now, that as we listen to your word, your word would give us the encouragement that we need to hear your spirit's leading voice and to go in that direction. And, and that you would also give us the endurance that we will need to sustain that repentance and that faith and that obedience uh, in the days, the months, and the years to come. And we ask all this in the name of your son, Jesus. And everybody said, amen. amen. Haggai chapter 1, starting in verse 1. In the second year of Darius, the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts? Because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors. And then Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua the son of Jehozadak the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai the messenger of the Lord spoke to the people with the Lord's message, I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, and, or rather the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. Let me pray one more time. Father... We do ask that you would open up our, our hearts and our ears that we might hear and receive your word and that in the end you would be just as pleased with our response as you were with the people here. That Lord you would be able to say that I am indeed with you and that you would lead us forth in the work you're calling us to do. We ask this in Jesus' name and everybody said, Amen. Amen. Now Haggai was the messenger. But if you read closely, look at verse 1 again, it wasn't in the strictest sense Haggai's message. Verse 1 says, 
that on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. You see that? So yes, Haggai is the messenger, but this is the word of the Lord coming through Haggai. Verse 12 and 13 tell us much the same thing. Look at that with me. The people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet. Verse 13, Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with, everybody, the Lord's message. Do you see that? Haggai is the messenger, but it is the Lord's message. And friends, we can say the same thing about everything we read in the Bible today. There is a human author. There is some human being God has chosen to relay those words to us. But as our, our friend and pastor Eric DeBoer told us two weeks ago, if you were with us in Holton, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by. So no matter who, who the human scribe may be, all scripture is breathed out by God. Every word of scripture is God's very own word. And, and this conviction is something the church can never lose. I understand how people think today. I hear what they say. I understand that people believe that some of the things that, that we hold dear as part of our faith should be relegated to the place of myth or superstition. I understand that. And yet I'm here to tell you, I believe with my whole heart this is the very word of God. And we, we have got to hold on to this. First, First Thessalonians puts it this way. I'm, I'm going to read this from the NIV here, which, which forgive me for that for some of you. First Thessalonians, still the word of God. First Thessalonians 2:13. And we also thank God continually because when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as what it actually is, the word of God which is indeed at work in you who believe. You heard it from us. We were the messengers. But you understood and received it as what it actually is, the word of God. I, I was in college in 1997 when that movie Titanic came out. And I know some of you are probably thinking, I shouldn't have seen that movie. I, I can't remember if I was a Christian yet or not. I was going to become a Christian that, that semester. I can't remember exactly where it was. I don't date my life by the movie Titanic. <laughs> but I, I will freely confess, I did go to see the movie. And at first I thought, there's no way I'm going to see this movie. I mean, it's three hours long. And you already know what's going to happen, you know? <laughs> what, what's the point of watching this movie? But I did go. I did go, I paid money, I went to see that movie, uh, and apparently a lot of other people did too. I mean, I even waited for a while. I was like, ah, this will be out of the theaters in no time. It was in there for like five years. <laughs> I, I had to go, it had to be the Lord telling me, no, I'm not saying that. I had to go see this movie. And so I went and I, and I saw the movie, and there was this one scene. There was this one scene where Mr. Anderson, the, the resident engineer on board. He was played by Victor Garber. Victor Garber's character was just about to tell the captain and everyone else in the room that the ship was going to sink. It, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> shouldn't, shouldn't spoil that for you. It was going to sink. 
And, and he begins to explain. He pulls out the blueprints and he, he says, Every, it's coming into this compartment, this compartment. It, it can survive four, but not five. It's, and one guy in the room said, what are you talking about? This ship, this, this ship can't sink. And, and Victor Garber's character looked at him and says, sir, she's made of iron. I assure you she can sink and she will. It's a mathematical certainty at this point. And, and I, I, I say that this morning to say the conviction I mentioned earlier about Scripture being God's Word, I'm not saying that God by His grace, His Spirit, and His power can't turn a professing Christian around, can't turn a professing church around when it begins to drift away from that conviction. I'm, I'm just saying at, at my age of 47, I, I've seen enough people go in that direction. I've not yet seen any church recover from that. I'm just being honest with you. I have not see, I've seen individuals turn around. I've not seen a church that loses this conviction actually turn around. At that point, I, you show me a church that has lost this conviction that this is indeed the very word of God. And I will show you a church that has probably hit the proverbial iceberg. And it's just a matter of time. Sink she can, and I assure you it's probably a certainty. And sinking will look different on the surface. I don't know what sinking will look like. But sink she will if she does not hear this word and repent very quickly. This is... When God speaks to us about any given subject, no matter what the rest of our culture says, that is the final and definitive word on the matter. Unpopular as it may be, I would rather stand with God and be judged by the world, as one person said, than stand with the world and be judged by God later. Jesus said, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this generation, I will be ashamed at him, of him when I come. And that's not a place any of us wants to be in. Like, I don't know what you believe about Jesus right now, but him being ashamed of you when he comes in power and glory is not a position you and I want to be in. Uh, and so, so I, I, I am telling you, you will, you, I mean, Kira, Brianna, my kids, some of you who are younger, I'm telling you, you're, you're going to encounter times in your life, maybe some of you will go to college, you, you are going to encounter professors and seemingly very smart people who will tell you that you are foolish for believing this stuff. And I am telling you, don't believe a word of it. They may be very smart, they may have lots of books, they haven't read half of them. <laughs> Nobody reads all the books on their shelf. But even if they have, even if they have, you're going you're gonna to come across people who will tell you, and we'll get into a little of this later, but you're going to come across people who will tell you it's silly to believe stuff like God sends the rain. Well, what do you mean? Jesus says that in Matthew chapter 5. He says God sends the rain. No, no, no. We know. We know what causes the rain. Those are natural processes, evaporation, condensation, precipitation. We learn about that in little grammar in elementary school. Okay, professor, you believe that none of this 
is the result of supernatural cause and activity, right? You, you believe that because we can understand and explain some of the natural causes for what we experience, that it necessarily means there's no supernatural cause that works prior to or alongside of it. All right, but that's your opinion. And you know who has a different opinion? Jesus. Jesus, right? So it's, it's not about your opinion versus mine. It's what you believe versus what Jesus believes. And so my decision here is to decide which of these I believe to be more trustworthy and reliable. My very intelligent professor, not knocking her or his intelligence, or Jesus, the one who died and got back up and told us everything he said was true. No disrespect to my professor or yours. I'm sticking with Jesus. That's... This conviction is one we cannot let go of. We cannot compromise on this just to make people feel better about what they've chosen. We we are not here with our own message. We're here as God's messengers. Can you say amen? Amen. Amen. So we must continue to hold on to this conviction and to convey to the rest of the, the listening and watching world the message of the Lord. And, and speaking of that, what was his message through Haggai? What did Haggai have to say to the people gathered there to hear him in 520 BC? And what does that have to do with us today? Well, I, I think what Haggai said to the people then is, is pretty much what God wants to say to us today. And to summarize it, it kind of goes like this. God says, I've been listening. I've been observing. I've been listening. I've been watching. I've heard what you said, that it's not time to build my house now. Even though I said through prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah that that's exactly what I've sent you back to do. I've heard what you've said, and his message to them is essentially this. There's something off with your priorities. Your priorities are are off. And we need to reorder those priorities so that number one on my list is once again number one on your list. Redemption Hill, I think that's, that's the message. With whatever else God may be pleased with in our lives, and there are going to be many things that fall into that category to be sure. As time goes on, it is very common and it's very easy for us to, to develop some misplaced priorities. And it's very common for God to, in his grace, call us back to look at that and to reorder those so that number one on his list is once again number one on our list. Can you say amen? Amen. So let's get to verse two through five here and you'll see where God is beginning to say this. And don't get too nervous that we're only on verse two. It goes a little faster from here. Verse two. Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now therefore consider your ways. You want to notice it it wasn't a problem. The problem here is not that the people had nice houses. That's not not what the prophet is denouncing here. It wasn't that they had as one of the features in their house one of those really nice, you know, 
wood paneled looking things. They, they, that was a, a high grade feature there. This wasn't builder's grade stuff. This was really good imported wood and they had paneled houses. It had been finished. This was, this was when you, you finished that last project in your home, Zach, and you can rest and say it's done, you know? That's, they, had, they had seen it all the way through. But the problem wasn't that they had nice homes. It was that they were devoting all of their time, all of their energy, and all of their resources to finishing their priority list and finishing their homes while they simultaneously neglected the house of God. That was the problem. It wasn't sinful per se to have a nice home, and we can apply that today. It's not, it's not sinful to have a nice home, to have certain nice things. But at, at what cost are you obtaining those things for yourself? Are those things occupying all of your time, all of your energy, all of your resource, and are you simultaneously putting to the side or altogether neglecting things that are more important to God? Are we doing that? That's what God is trying to bring to our eyes and to our hearts. Is that what's going on here? And that was certainly the case to the people of God back here in 520 BC as Haggai spoke. And so God says, we're, we're, gonna have to, we're gonna have to fix this thing here. And in fact, he explained to his people that he was the ultimate reason for some of the frustration they were feeling and sensing and experiencing. He was the ultimate reason behind why some of their efforts weren't yielding the results they had hoped for. Look, look with me here at, at verse six. Starting in verse six, God says, you, you have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but nobody seems to be able to stay warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Can anybody say amen? <laughs> there are all kinds of things going on. It just looked like natural things, changes in the weather pattern. We didn't get as much rain as, as we needed. So we sowed much, but we reaped a little. Right? It just looked like the weather. It, it just looked like some economic policies brought in by the new king. You know, Inflation was happening. Amen or oh my. <laughs> and so we were working, which is good. We were earning, which is good. But it just the dollar we were earning just wasn't as valuable as the dollar we earned in the past. And, and all of these things were going on, and, and God gives some insight, and he says, look, I, there are, again, there are humanly caused reasons for what you're experiencing, but not just humanly caused reasons. He, he let them know, I, I'm, this, this is a case where I'm actually behind this. The, the clouds respond to my voice and obey my voice, even if you do not. And, and that's why you haven't experienced the early rains this year. That's why there's crop failure. That's why it's, it's harder right now for everybody to get everything they need. Right? That, that I'm, I'm behind all this. He continues in verse 9. You looked for much and behold it came to little. And when you brought it home, that little that you did have, I, I blew it away. Why? Well, because of my house that lies in ruins and your neglect of it. While everyone busies himself with his own house. And so therefore, 
The heavens above have withheld the dew. The earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and on the hills and on the grain, the new wine, the new oil, pretty much everything you need. I've called for a drought on those things. And God then gave them a, a chance to turn things around. Look at verse 7 and 8. God says there in verses 7 and 8, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house, that I may take pleasure in it. This is what it was all about. That I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. Go up. This is what repentance would look like at this time for his people. Go up. Go up the hills. Get wood. Bring it back. Build not your own house, but build the house that I might take pleasure in it and that I might be glorified as you do what God is asking or telling you to do. And the good news is this, God was able to take full pleasure in their response. Isn't it good when God's people actually respond and do what he says? God had that pleasure this time. He was able to take full pleasure in their response because they responded with immediate and sacrificial obedience. Look, look at, verse, at verse 12 here. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, man, I have said Zerubbabel like 20 times. <laughs> Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God sent him. And the people feared the Lord and they moved in the direction of obedience. Up the hill it was. And I want you to notice something. We know that they acted right away because in just a matter of a few weeks, in just a matter of a few short weeks, they were ready once again to resume the building of the Lord's house. At the end of verse 15 here in the chapter, it tells us that on the 24th day of the month, that work resumed. That's just about three weeks after Haggai spoke to them. And it took a long time to put themselves in that position. Listen, it, it's, when he says, go up the hill, obedient, how many of you know obedience to God is not always easy? When, when he said, go up the hills and get some wood and bring it back and build this house, do you, you think they went up the hill um, and just found wood laying there ready to come back. They had to chop those trees down. They had to prepare that wood and put it in a form that could be used in the building project. They had to do that without modern technology. This is hard and to get all of that done in three weeks. There were some among them who were older and, and not as physically strong who couldn't participate in that part of it and that's fine. You know, we, we can't all do everything that's important to God. We, we all have different roles to play and so some of the young men I'm sure were up doing, doing all that, bringing back all the wood and you know, all of that was going on. But to get all that done in a few weeks means they started right away. And, I, and I'm wondering as God speaks to us this morning, what will our response look like and how long will it take? I'm just, just wondering what that will look like. Thanks be to God, as he moved on their hearts, this people responded right away. And, and there was increased obedience, increased pleasure in God's heart, increased glory for God. And that's what we want, isn't it? So what, what would God want to say to us this morning? 
how, how would he want us to apply this? And, 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 and what, what should we take out of it? Now, I'll put it this way. God is still calling us to participate in the building of his house. Again, God is still calling his people to participate in the building of his house. Now, he, he's not putting on us the full weight and burden of building his house. Jesus said, I will build my church in Matthew 16. Right? Jesus is building his church. And if anything, we're like, the, we're like the little kid on the back of the tandem bike, you know, as Jesus does the heavy lifting. But he is calling us to participate in the building of his house. Only today, the Lord's house is not made of wood, stone, and concrete. It's made up of people. Here's a few places in the New Testament that, that teach us that. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. Do you not know that you, plural, you, are God's temple? And that God's spirit dwells in you? The believing church is the new temple of God. Hebrews chapter 3. We, we just went through Hebrews not too long ago. Hebrews chapter 3. Moses was faithful as a servant in God's house. But Christ is faithful as a son over God's house. And we are his house. If indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Therefore, we are his house if we hold fast our confidence. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. If we are his house... Then let us respond, hear his voice, and not harden our hearts, but rather turn in repentance wherever that is needed and in faith wherever that is being inspired by God's Spirit. And in verse 12 of Hebrews 3, it says, Take care, brothers. Take care, and that includes brothers and sisters. Take care, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. How practically... What is one of the things practically we do to help build the house of God today as God's people? We take care that none of us develops an evil, unbelieving heart that leads to us falling away from the living God. But rather, verse 13, we exhort one another or encourage one another every day. As long as it's called today. What, what do we call today? Today. That's right. So it's still today. That means this applies. This is a day where we should be gathering like this to encourage one another in this day called today so that no one would be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. We need each other. We need each other. This is why we come together like this. Because we are being built into a house by Jesus, a spiritual house. 1 Peter 2, 4, 5. As you come to him, that is Christ, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. To be a holy priesthood and to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. 
The point this morning is not to make any of us feel guilty. It's not to make any of us feel guilty. It's to remind us that at the hearing of God's word, we have the opportunity to hear his voice, reorder our priorities, and move in the direction of his spirit's leading. What an opportunity this is. We get to offer, through our repentance, faith, and obedience, we offer unto God spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to him through Jesus Christ. Who, by the way, who, by the way, fully and perfectly obeyed the word that Haggai gives to the people here in chapter 1, verse 8. Look at it again. Look at it again. Spurgeon, Spurgeon used to say that in every passage of the Bible, there's a shortcut to the cross. Haggai 1.8, go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it. Didn't Jesus go up the hill? Didn't he go up the hill that we call Calvary? Didn't he take wood with him? Did, didn't he carry wood to the place of his own sacrifice? Didn't Jesus go up that hill? Didn't he do it for us? Didn't God take pleasure in what he did? Didn't he? Friends, Jesus has done the heavy lifting. He invites us. He invites us to offer our spiritual sacrifices unto God as those which will be acceptable because of the great sacrifice he offered first. That is the opportunity before us. That is what we're exhorting one another to remember and to do. That is what we're encouraging each other to move in the direction of. And so I'll leave us with some questions. Which, if any, of God's priorities have we perhaps put to the side or maybe altogether neglected as we pursue other things that are important to us? What would it look like for us to take a practical step in the direction of repentance, faith and obedience and to fully embrace this opportunity that Jesus is giving us this morning. Think, think about that in very practical things like how, how do I currently contribute some of my, my time, some of my money, uh, my, my gifts, my abilities? How do, I, how do I lend those to the work of building up God's spiritual house? This, this, this group, this church, and, and perhaps other ministries, other churches as well. But how do I, first and foremost right here, how do I contribute to the work of building this house? What does that look like today? As I pray, what might God want that to look like as I go into the future? Right? So again, no, no guilt trip, just what an opportunity. Let, let's think through these things. Where are my priorities today? What might they look like tomorrow? Am I connected enough to anyone here to offer this sort of regular encouragement that Hebrews chapter 3 talks about? And what does that look like? What does it look like today? What does it look like tomorrow? What do I desire right now in my heart? What obstacles and challenges lie in the way? And what will it look like for me to move in that direction despite those challenges and obstacles? Or obstacles and, and how can we help each other to do that? Right? That's what we're looking to do for each other as a church. And it, it's, gonna, it's not going to be easy, is it? It could be something as simple as 
I just, I just want you to, to pick up your Bible tomorrow morning. You've kind of put this to the side for a while. I want you to pick it up. I know it'll be Monday, but it's not just a Sunday book. It's, it's an everyday book. Pick it up, open it, and spend some time with me. Let me speak to you. Let, give yourself a chance to see what that will do the rest of your day or week. All right? And, and you know, you know how the inertia of life acts on us. It, God might as well be telling us to go uphill, chop down a tree, and bring it back. It, see, it feels that hard at times to, to get out of the current rut. But, but I think God's spirit will be there to help us. The Lord will say to us as he did through Haggai, I am with you, declares the Lord. Didn't Jesus promise that? Yeah. So, so for some of us, it's, it's going to be, I'm not saying it's the only way for us to, to give and receive that regular encouragement that, that Hebrews is talking about. But the community groups that we have here are, are maybe the best way to, to do that or to take a step in that direction. And some of you have been in that for a while. You experienced that. Some of you have never been in one of those. Or some of you are like me and my wife. We were talking about this just yesterday. And as we were praying through this, that I feel like that's something we have put to the side. Uh, you know, we used to meet on, on Sunday nights with a group like that. And, and then I started working with the youth. It kind of took that time slot. And it was just more challenging to figure out how to, to restart that and when to restart that. Um, you, you know, I guess I was trying to fit it in to everything else. But that's the thing with priorities. And I am beginning to close. That's the thing with priorities. It's, you don't just try to fit it into everything else. You, you kind of set those first and then you build around it. Does that make sense? Is that a priority to you? If it hasn't been, does God want it to be? What would that look like to take a step in that direction? And, and it's going to feel like going uphill, isn't it? Right? We have to go uphill sometimes to, uh, against the gravity of our sinful tendencies and, and desires. And, and that's fine because, again, the Lord's Spirit will empower us to make that climb. We go uh, in tandem with Jesus, and He does the heavy lifting. Let me pray for us. Father, we just want to thank You so much for, for Your Word and the opportunity it gives us. And we thank You even more for You and your sacrifice and everything that you have done to make us acceptable to God and then in turn to make our spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God because your one sacrifice purifies our lives. And Father, we thank you for the gift that you've given us in each other, the glorious riches of, of this inheritance in your saints and that you've put so many gifts in so many people and that as we come together to love you and to serve you together as we serve one another, we benefit. We mutually benefit by each other's faith and by the gifts that you've given through your grace. And so I pray that you would form the connections we need to offer each other that regular encouragement that you ordained for us to give to one another. And we ask all of this in the name of your son, Jesus. And everybody said, amen. You've been listening to a message by Raymond Goodlett given at Redemption Hill Church in Richmond, Virginia. For more information on the church and to hear other messages, please visit us online at www.redemptionhill.org.